has been an awakening. Have you felt it? listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 151 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as on Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the Episode 7 trailer, likes and dislikes of fandom, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. You gotta give the trailer credit, right? A, it's got balls. Or at least it's got one, and it's got a droid head on it. And it's already survived only so far a small amount of heckling because of the Michael Brown, uh, Darren Wilson situation in Ferguson. When the first image of your trailer is a black man in armor looking like he's running away from something, and that's the week you release it, expect some heckling. But thankfully, not nearly as much as it seemed like. That only blew up on my Facebook page maybe two or three times, and then I haven't seen that kind of joking with it since, which is, I guess a good thing, or it just means that most people don't pay attention to the world around them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that trailer was pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I don't know about the little ball droid. I'm not going to go on the line and say I'm hating it, but I'm not really a fan. I get that it follows a McQuarrie style of a concept for R2, and apparently everything McQuarrie does is the new Lucas and we've got to do it, but that little droid, I'm kind of hoping he's a, he's a side character, but I have a doubt. Man, but there was some fun stuff on that trailer, man. That lightsaber, I know you're not much of a fan, but I was digging it. I like the Excalibur broadsword, longsword feel of it, you know, kind of kind of about time in a lot of ways for me. Uh, the X-Wings flying across the uh, lake there, seeing the wings, the way that they're uh, one sets forward and one sets back and stuff. I was kind of concerned with how that was going to look when it was flying, and honestly, 
I barely even noticed. I was so tickled when I saw those X-Wings flying across that lake that that everything else kind of went out the window. And the Millennium Falcon scene, oh, man. Give me a Starfighter game that emulates that, man, right now. Yeah, it was short but sweet. Pretty cool overall. I mean, pretty positive on it. I was surprised not to see any of the pre-existing characters show up. That was a little bit odd. Uh, but overall, pretty decent. I like the new Stormtrooper armor. like the new X-Wings. Interesting to see the Rebel symbol as opposed to something else uh, on the X-Wing pilots. A cool new sensor dish on the Millennium Falcon, as had been hinted. But yeah, yeah. to me, the, the two things that have me doing the facepalm are the droid that is apparently a, a roly ball that has the the astromech-looking head on it. I mean, I guess we're reaching out to uh, soccer fans at this point. And gotta say, the new Sith lightsaber, you hinted at it, I am not at all of a mind to say that's good. Even if that even is a Sith. We don't know who the character is. It's cool that it has sort of that flaming look because it looks like it's almost like the, the energy is not controlled. And the broadsword concept is cool and all. I said it really doesn't make sense in terms of the whole, you know, let's have energy as the guards on this thing. Uh, now, granted, they wind up turning on second, so you wonder if that's like an exhaust thing or if that's something that's like a secondary function that doesn't have to be on. But one, a guard on a sword can be used as a weapon. So it makes sense to have those be there. Perhaps you could stab somebody with them or slice them with the side of it instead of just the blade. However, if you're using an actual broadsword with a guard like that, a cross guard, there will be times it will hit you. So if you're spinning it around or something or using it in any way other than a very heavy broadsword fashion, and even if you are to a degree, you're going to wind up, in this case, probably cutting your own wrists off. Uh, your hand will fall to the ground and you will lose that lightsaber duel by default. Um, and the argument can be made, well, it's a cross guard. It's used just in case the lightsabers clash and one, like, slides down the other and gets down to the hilt to protect your hands and such and to keep the lightsaber from being destroyed. Yeah, I'd buy that if the cross guard was entirely energy. Instead, there's a little bit of cross guard and then the energy. So if that blade of your enemy slides all the way down your lightsaber and gets down to the base of the hilt, it's still going to cut through mechanical parts easily and still manage to get to you. It's sliding down doesn't at all touch the energy coming out of the sides of that thing. So to me, that's kind of a ridiculous design. I know there was one character back, I believe it was in Purge, that has a similar design with a cross guard that's sort of like a, almost like a a Y shape where he's got the one blade and then the one Mm -hmm. that comes out at an angle coming out from it as a cross guard. Uh, That was ridiculous in and of itself. This one really looks goofy. Although I also said that the Inquisitor's lightsaber looked goofy and in concept, it certainly does, but now that we see it in action in Rebels, it's actually a lot cooler and makes a lot more sense than it seemed like on first viewing. So, you know, what do I know? I think I have a Wookiee in the audience. Sadly, there are some stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herders out there who aren't thrilled with the new Jedi weapon. They say if these things are supposed to protect your hands like sword hilts, it wouldn't work. Because the first time you cross lightsabers and it slid down to the bottom of the blade, your opponent's lightsaber would chop through the little side sabers and take off your hand. <laughs> or, as it was stated on Twitter, hilt on lightsaber, stupid and impractical, childhood ruined, everything ruined. <laughs> yeah. Ruined. Ruined. Well, I say it's a perfect design. 
it's here, here's how it works. Like, I've done my analysis, okay? People think, people think it's actually three different plasma streams, but it's all one. The long beam, the long beam right here, okay, it comes out, and the two smaller beams at the bottom, okay, they're still attached to it. They don't start where the little metal hilt ends, okay? They're attached to the other beam inside. The metal hilts are just casings around the little beams to protect your hand. Even if someone slices through the metal, they're gonna hit the beam right there. Any Padawan knows that. <laughs> now, I know that's, that's science. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, uh, but Steven, in the trailer, the first light beam comes out before the other two. How could it all be one beam? Well, Greg, it's simple. <laughs> you just need three focusing crystal activators to split the plasma into perpendicular blade energy channels. Confused? Well, you'll understand in two weeks when you catch up with where I'm at. The Tor MMO also had a lightsaber staff that had a very Christian cross look where, you know, it was a long staff and at one end it had a little tiny pike lightsaber in and at the other end it had the, the three-way, uh, you know, and that was it was a concept that was dropped, but it was interesting. I think for me, design-wise, I, I just like the look of it, but the thing that really jumped out to me, and, and I apparently I'm alone with this with the whole lightsabers and what's going on with the lightsabers you know when rebels came out they had this little thing where they were talking about the design of the lightsabers and how kanan's lightsaber uh was more like luke's in episode four uh how it kind of flickered and faded and did all that kind of stuff you know not like solid crisp like what you see with the tip of mace windows when he's sticking it right in the throat of darth sidious you know those were very crisp and stuff but later they end up starting to flicker and that kind of stuff one aspect is that it could be the technology kind of breaking down over time, but the other th side of it is what if it had something to do with the Force? You know, and seeing the lightsaber flicker and that kind of stuff and not be a solid crisp beam was something that definitely got me super excited. I mean, I don't know what they're doing with the concept of the Force and, and all the aspects that go along with it, but I don't know. For me, I'm really excited about that, to see the lightsaber flickering and, and not being crisp. I, I really hope they're planning on doing something with that concept. I mean, it seems really odd that they go out of their way to line up those technologies. I mean, the bottom line is when they made the original trilogy, their the graphics that they were using weren't as good as when they made the prequel trilogy. Okay, well, if that's the case, then fix it when you did the special editions, if that was really the case. Or are you planning on something in-story? You know, I mean, that's where I'm at. It's like if they got an in-story reason for that, I'm very interested to see what it is, especially with the whole concept of, you know, the force is awake. Did you feel it? The light side and the dark. I don't know. For me, there's there's that whole aspect of what's going on with the force that I really hope that they're doing something with that. It's just not something that they're just tossing out there. You know, when I saw that lightsaber kind of flicker and have the flame, like you said, like it was the energy was kind of escaping it. You know, I, I again, I got back to that. What's going on with the lightsabers? You know, is there an in-universe reason for the degradation of the saber blades? I just wonder if we're getting to a point where regular lightsabers just don't cut it anymore because it's sort of a been there, done that thing. And we're leaning towards the Lego Star Wars thing with Darth Maul going, it's awesome. And, you know lightsaber blades sticking out all over the freaking place. I mean, we've already seen the internet blow up with tons of new memes now yeah. designed around, look, it's a lightsaber that looks like a comb. It's got so many freaking blades on it kind of thing. It's It'll be interesting to see if there is a function that it actually makes sense with or if 
Maybe the character's wearing some type of gauntlet that is impervious to lightsaber blades, so it makes sense for him to be able to use something like that without cutting his own wrists and so forth. But uh, I guess we'll see. And we're going to talk about, of course, the trailer a little bit more when we get to our last part of the year in review as part of the other and uh, video section. And we may have an upcoming Rebels Roundtable episode dealing specifically with trailer reactions from that team. So I guess we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves at this point. That's right. So where are we right now? Well, let's just see. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This episode, we will be focusing on the novels of 2014, with our next episode being comics and the one to follow being games, television, role-playing games, and the rest. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, so we're looking at books this time. Now, books, of course, could be adult novels, could be young reader books, could be out-of-universe, behind-the-scenes books. There's really a lot of different ways that books could be approached, and we tend to lump them all together to give us one episode worth of content here. Uh, let's start, I guess, with the adult novels. The first adult novel we got this year was the second-to-last in the Legends continuity of the novels that we've gotten. It is also uh, the newest from Joe Schreiber, and one that we have covered here on the show with its own episode, and that is Maul Lockdown, a story in which Darth Maul is sent to the Cog Hive 7 prison, this space station prison, to procure basically a nuclear weapon for Darth Sidious. An interesting little story, one that I, as I said in the episode where we covered it, I kind of wish it would have been set after the Clone Wars. I would have been much more excited about that being a uh, Legends Darth Maul kind of story. I think for me, that was the one thing I really was hoping for was some Legends closure of Maul. And this being set before Episode 1 didn't quite work for that. Like, I almost wish that when they gave us Saboteur and Shadowhunter and stuff like that, that this book came out then. I think it may have had more of a, a oomph riding on the coattails of Darth Maul and the Clone Wars, as it were. It worked. But I don't know if the story was served by when they dropped it because we were so past that point in Darth Maul's life. So, you know, that was a weird oddity. But Schreiber did a really good job of making the book interesting, uh, you know, for, for a, a horror novelist. And I, and I say that because it's only two Star Wars books before that were zombie ones. This one had that same horror feel, even though it wasn't like, oh, God, there's a, a murder right behind me. But there were scenes like there was a scene where Maul was inside this hot little room and stuff and he was about to black out. I mean, there were moments where I was just like pulling at the corner of my shirt trying to get a breath of air because the writer did that good a job of capturing and bringing me in. So kudos to Joe for that. Yeah, it was very much a different Maul story than we expected. It got much more into his head. It was a much more physical thing for Maul as opposed to weapon usage. As double-bladed lightsaber doesn't appear anywhere within that story. Uh, it's odd to bring in Kamari Bosa, but wound up creating a nice interesting tie between those characters. Would have been nice to see it go somewhere later, but of course it didn't. Um, it had its flaws and its head-shaking moments, such as the species of the character that Maul is hunting down throughout the entire book. But 
overall, it, it worked out well. I wouldn't put it up there, say, with Red Harvest, but I would say that it's good, perhaps a little bit better than, say, Death Troopers when it comes to Shriver's works. Death Troopers was mm-hmm. something that was harmed by the fact that we knew that nothing could happen really to Chewie and Han, so a lot of the menace was gone. Red Harvest, a lot of the menace was there, and I love a good zombie story, so that was pretty dark. This is somewhere in between. You know nothing can happen to Maul, but you wonder what he's going to go through. Is he going to complete his mission? How is he going to complete the mission? What's up with these other characters being brought in? Um, It wound up being a pretty entertaining story overall, albeit, like I said, a flawed one. Yeah. Next one up, the last of the Star Wars Legends continuity adult novels to be released, the one that was originally meant to be number two of Empire and Rebellion, and then lost that subtitle, depending on which version of the book that you were looking at. That is James S.A. Corey's first foray into Star Wars, Honor Among Thieves, the Han Solo focused novel. Ah, uh, Honor Among Thieves. You know, honestly, I still haven't read this one. Uh, once it got to that point where this went from being a trilogy to books to the second book is actually set before the first book, and these books are all actually standalones, and I, I, I lost my caring. At that point, I was like, you know, another, we're going back to, to the old stories. I, I really felt like there was no drive. I had to go and read this now kind of thing. Uh, you know, like, whereas with Crucible, it's like, what's going to happen to Luke, Han, and Leia? You know, I mean, there was there was a drive there. I wanted to know. I guess in a lot of ways, like with the with the Maul book, you know, how you knew he was going to live, the same thing here. There was nothing really to drive me into this one going, yeah, I want to read this. I, I don't know. I mean, so not having read it, I really have nothing much to say on it. Well, it was it was an odd one. It was a throwaway story that means nothing to really anything else. Uh, it introduced some new characters, but of course ones that aren't really going to go anywhere because Legends isn't really continuing, at least in this particular era. But he did a really good job of capturing the voices of the characters. He made it a fun ride that felt like Han and Leia and these characters in this era. Uh, do you have to read it? Absolutely not. It doesn't really tie into anything else. But from the standpoint of being able to just nail the characters, he did a very good job. With that, and hopefully at some point we'll get a chance to talk about it here on the show. Uh, I will also note here that it actually included the Silver and Scarlet short story that is found in the pages of Star Wars Insider. So oh, cool. uh, there is that bonus feature to this novel. I would say it's definitely one that I would recommend if you're just wanting a fun Star Wars story or looking for a story that doesn't tie into anything else at all, maybe for a new Star Wars reader. Granted, it's not story group canon. It now will not count in that new continuity. But to, to get a feel for what a throwaway story can do as far as grabbing the characters and making it feel like Star Wars, this is a pretty good example. You know, the other thing about this, though, is it illustrates that this is the last Legends story novel. Legends is still going in a pseudo kind of realm. Tour of the game is continuing, so Legends is existing in that realm. Uh, the Imperial Handbook's about to come out, so we are getting Legends material, albeit it's more of like a trickle-out kind of thing, like the last bit of drops in the hose. Uh, but it, it's kind of sad that this was the last of the stories that Legends is going to give us. That it literally faded away in the middle of the night, there was no big bang for it to go out with. Yeah, Crucible being sort of the end for the big three in that particular time frame probably would have made a better end cap. It was not a flawless book. It was kind of weak as an end cap, but it did feel like an end cap. This one didn't. It just felt like any other novel that could have been produced as far back as the 70s, and it wouldn't have made much of a difference. That brings us into 
the new canon, whatever you want to call it, new canon, canon, Star Wars canon, I call it story group canon, uh, Mark has called it Disney canon, basically the new continuity that's being developed around the films, Rebels, and the Clone Wars being driven by the story group that now is essentially a fertile field for new stories because very little exists in it. That launched off officially with some stories in Insider that we're going to get to here, but the first adult novel to be released, and released in kind of an odd way, was A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller, a prequel to Star Wars Rebels taking place six years prior to the events of the first episodes of Star Wars Rebels, but something that was released in hardback form, but prior to that, released at San Diego Comic-Con as a paperback exclusive advanced reader's edition that allowed folks to get a chance to see the story well before it was officially released in stores. Uh, one wonders how that, if at all, impacted sales of the book because it did appear to be the first time that Star Wars books took a significant hit uh, in terms of sales of a Star Wars novel, which was odd because it's a pretty good novel. Well, there's a lot of odd there. I mean, the book didn't really come out until September, yet by this point, all through August, you had a bunch of little kids' books that came out for Rebels. Uh, you have Meet the Rebels, you've got uh, a new hero, Rise of the Rebels, Ezra's Gamble, Zeb to the Rescue, Ezra and the Pilot, Chopper Saves the Day. Most of them are adaptations of episodes and little little things like that, but they are also works in the new canon. So it was kind of weird that... While A New Dawn was the first adult novel, there were already other novels. Well, not even, I, it's hard to even say novels. They were just little kids' stories, but they were set in canon and they were already out there. I mean, it was a really weird handoff of the old Legends continuity and the new canon. It was like, you know, here you've got this announcement that, that you know, we're, we're stopping the EU, we're, we're calling it Legends and we're going forward with canon. And yet there was no, you know, pomp and circumstance. There was no, you know, trumpets, no big opening day party. I mean, even Marvel does opening parties and stuff. We got a new line coming out. Hey, we're going to have a release party. I, it was really weird that in that regard, it kind of just like they wanted to sweep it over. Like they knew there was going to be a lot of flat coming or something. I don't know. It was really weird, but a new dawn. I, I I'm, I'm over halfway into it right now. I'm actually really enjoying it. It's interesting. Cause okay. I'm, I would easily say at this point, I'm a rebels fan, but this one's different because it's set before Kanan gets with Hera and it's more I, I say it's their story about how those two kind of get together and how the founding of the group is going to come about and I, it's it's interesting because what I know of Rebels doesn't exist yet and so seeing that kind of build up I'm, I'm finally at the point where Hera and Kanan are together uh, but Hera is still keeping Kanan on the outs and it's very very interesting dynamic between these characters and I like it because it, it adds to what we see in the TV episodes where she's calling him love and things like that. And you get the sense that there's something more there. But at this point in the book, I'm like, how is that going to build? I mean, obviously, Kanan's got a crush on her. He's been crushing on her since the moment he heard her voice. So, you know, you got that aspect. And it's really cool read in that regard. I'm really liking what John Jackson Miller has done here. So if you haven't had a chance, get it, give it a whirl. See what you think. I mean... There is that side of it fits more into Rebels, so it's kind of more like it feels like it's Rebels canon versus canon canon yet, because I want a canon story about Luke and them still, but until I get that, it's kind of really weird to feel like canon has moved on yet, because while this isn't Legends at all, there is at the same time nothing really saying that this couldn't be Legends at this point, but 
that's a separate story. But it's fun. It's a fun ride. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's a pretty good novel. It's an interesting starting point in that it's a prequel to Rebels rather than being something that deals with the big three or even really the prequel era. It's introducing characters we hadn't really met up to this point. In that sense, it does a pretty good job. It's interesting to see as we record episodes of Rebels Roundtable, talking about Rebels episodes, how uh, the background that we get for the characters here really informs the way that me and especially Jonathan look at the Rebels series and what the characters are doing, what their motivations would be, uh, why it is that Kanan trains Ezra the way that he is and so forth. So it really is something I would say is essential for those who are watching Rebels to check out. But it did make for an unusual and surprising place, albeit with a fitting title, to have the beginning of adult Star Wars novels for this new story group canon. But another one that I would certainly recommend. The last one released for the year in terms of the adult Star Wars novels is one that has perhaps broader appeal than A New Dawn, because while A New Dawn may look like, oh, well, it's tying into that cartoon, for those who don't want to read that, uh, because they're not going to be watching the cartoon. We have Tarkin by James Lucino, which, of course, is the backstory in a lot of ways of the character we get from A New Hope, which is a more readily identifiable character uh, for those who are interested in reading a Star Wars book and haven't necessarily read anything before. That makes a neat little entry point here. Again, we'll talk about this at some point on the show. I would argue that it is essentially a throwaway story in some respects. It gives Tarkin some advancement in his career that gets him towards where we see him in A New Hope, gives us a little bit of background on the construction of the Death Star, but I was surprised much of it is told in flashbacks that for the first time really give us a detailed backstory of the development of Tarkin as a man. Uh, another one of these that I would recommend. I'm in the middle of a new dawn, so this one came and I couldn't help but kind of get drawn in. And that's part of why a new dawn kind of took so long to get halfway through. Because I didn't think I was going to enjoy this one. And honestly, it kind of brought me right into it. I was kind of getting a kick out of it. Granted, it's a character that has already died in the first Star Wars movie that we were ever given. So there was that aspect of like, you know, how much am I really going to care about it? But because of the way that it's it's doing the flashbacks and stuff, I really got a kick out of out of a lot of the stuff. And there were little tidbits and things like that. You know, I, I've seen other fans going, you know, hey, is Lucino pulling things in? And I find it refreshing because, you know, there was the question of, well, will Tarkin's first name still be the first name that it was in Legends? Well, it turns out, yes. Uh, there are a lot of things that are coming over. But because they're coming over doesn't mean that they're the version of themselves as they were in Legends. Think of Quinlan Voss when he made... The Clone Wars, not the Quinlan Voss you got in Dark Horse Comics, even though in that regard, they're both legends. But it's very obvious to Star Wars fans of the expanding universe who then saw Quinlan Voss on the Clone Wars that they're not the same character as close as they are. But that's about what you're getting here is you're getting names of things and things like that, where it, it may be the same name, look and shape, but it's not exactly the same or how it's, it's presented is not the same. So it's cool to go through that in that regard. Something that would have felt like it's just a repeat, like like what I said with uh, Honor Among Thieves, uh, you know, that feel of I don't want to go back in that regard with Tarkin. It's different because I know this is new. This even though it's going back over an era that I have I've read over, you know, to the point of boredom, it's presenting the stuff in a new light. So it's like even though I know 
to a degree of what happened in another universe, it's now wide open. I mean, what, did he take a left when he went right before? You know, those kind of things. And how is that going to impact the story overall and those kind of things? That's got me very interested. And I was very impressed with how Lucina was able to draw me in just by opening it up and reading just a little bit of it. Yeah, fun story. I got to say that I was surprised by the development of Tarkin's character. This is another one where you're essentially rooting for the bad guy, but it works within this story. Um, it was cool to see how many things Lucino did bring in reference-wise as far as planets and stuff like that. I thought that worked out very, very well. Uh, from a, uh, a context standpoint here, for those of you who haven't checked out Tarkin or are getting a little confused because these books don't have timelines in the front of them anymore, you've got basically, right, you get the 19 BBY date for Revenge of the Sith. Then 19 years later, of course, at the starting point of the timeline, the zero moment, so to speak, you've got A New Hope, a 19-year gap in between. Rebels, the cartoon series, starts five years before A New Hope and has now made it into the next year, the four years before A New Hope era as of Empire Day, the, the second-to-last episode that we got as we're heading into this break as we move into 2015 and all. The book A New Dawn takes place six years prior to Rebels, so 11 BBY, or eight years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Then you've got Tarkin. Tarkin takes place five years after Revenge of the Sith, or 14 years BBY. So basically it's Revenge of the Sith, five years go by, and then there's Tarkin. Three years go by, and we get a new dawn, Six years go by, we get the beginning of Rebels, and by the time we get to the Rebels episodes that have most recently aired, there is in a four-year gap from that to A New Hope. Uh, it's just something that's not necessarily the clearest thing in the world, because A New Dawn doesn't have date references really in it by itself. You really need the Rebels visual guide to realize it's supposed to be six years prior to what we're getting in Rebels. And mm -hmm. with Tarkin, there is an overt date reference, but it's an overt date reference in relation to Revenge of the Sith, which means that there's not a reference, of course, to A New Dawn. It hasn't happened yet. So seeing the relative time frames can be somewhat confusing. But that is how it lays out. And you mentioned, Mark, something that was a concern of mine at the time, which was, is Tarkin's first name still going to be Wilhuff? Because mm -hmm. it was never mentioned in the films. Turns out, of course, yes, it is. But also, Tarkin is the novel that finally gives us the long-awaited, never-before-seen first name of Palpatine. And That's it turns true. out Palpatine's first name is Sheeb, S-H-E-E-V. Not sure how I feel about that, although I really am sad to see it wasn't Cause, C-O-S, because I remember those early drafts where the Emperor's name was Cause Dashit, D-A-S-H-I-T, because he causes all the S-word that happens to uh, take place throughout the galaxy in his particular era. Poodoo! Poodoo! Oh man, that's classic. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm one of those that that when the Tarkin book came out, you know, I again, I I was just there was zero desire at first, but then I was like, okay, here it is, I got it. I wonder, and sure enough, man, I opened it and I got drawn right in. That brings us into another series that was actually continuing from last year, albeit one that's a little bit different than the rest. Last year we got Star Wars. Verily, A New Hope, or William Shakespeare's Star Wars. This year we got two back-to-back, -back and the announcement that the prequels are being done, we have The Empire Striketh Back, and The Jedi Doth Return, 
and then those two plus the one released last year were all put into a slip-cased set known as the Royal Boxed Set. Uh, these not only released as books, as in physical books, I must note here, and personally I think this is the best way to check them out, there are fully cast audio drama style versions of these if you pick them up in audiobook form, which I find is very entertaining. That sounds like fun, actually. <laughs> audio version of it. You know, I kind of hope they do more of that, because that's kind of a brilliant little trick there. Yeah, they play out well. Um, it's one of those things, Shakespeare is sort of a love it or hate it type of thing. If you've been reading them in school, or you're about to, or you're in college reading them, a lot of times it's a hate when it comes to Shakespeare. Me, I've got a fondness for Romeo and Juliet and the the rhyming banter, in a sense, that you get with that. But my favorite play of all time is Hamlet. I just love that particular tale and the way it weaves together and a lot of the allusions and a lot of the phrases that come out of that that we use in everyday life these days. It became part of the lexicon and all. Uh, to see Star Wars done in a Shakespearean way is actually really cool, but it's something that makes more sense, I think, if you hear it rather than if you're trying to read it off the page. It's easier to get the pacing of it, uh, uh, the iambic pentameter of all of it and whatnot. And I will say that I found that The Empire Striketh Back and The Jedi Doth Return are a little more original in their phrasing, less heavy-handed than Verily A New Hope when it comes to shoehorning in, taking classic phrases from Shakespeare and tweaking them for Star Wars. It's certainly much more... Uh, Shakespearean in style without the heavy-handed references. Kind of like Star Wars novels eventually get away from things like, uh, let's say I have a bad feeling about this over and over again, or let's make a reference mm -hmm. back to the trash compactor over and over again. See, guys, we've seen the movies too! Which is the feel that we got from some of the earliest novels in the EU because all they had to reference, of course, was the films, despite them taking place years and years prior to those novels that we were getting. So, if you haven't checked these out, the box set is a good way to get them in print, but again, I would highly recommend instead get the audiobook versions of them because they really are a treat. That sounds fun. You know, more of those uh, kids' books that came out, we have uh, Escape from Darth Vader, which kind of follows the droids and A New Hope. Uh, we've got Star Wars Rebels, Rebel Journal by Ezra Bridger. We've got The Adventure of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. Ezra's Wookiee Rescue, Servants of the Empire, Edge of the Galaxy. Uh, the Rebellion Begins. And the droids in distress. Now, with droids in distress, it seems that they're doing a lot of adaptations. So I would expect almost every single episode of Rebels, kind of like what they did with the Clone Wars, to have an adaptation. So I don't necessarily know many of you novel fans out there and book fans. I don't know if you're going to be grabbing them. I know when it came to Legends and the Clone Wars, I did not get the adaptations of the books. That was one of the things that was low on my list because they were there was nothing new brought to it. They, they barely even added new words to it. I mean, they were literally just what you saw adapted straight over into a little kid's book form. Yeah, lots of the little kid's adaptations, uh, several of them actually all going back to Spark of Rebellion. Not things that I was necessarily excited to pick up. It's good for little kids, I guess, to get them interested. Rebel Journal by Ezra Bridger is kind of leaning towards more of a Book of Sith Jedi Path type of thing. Um, it basically shows Ezra's adventures leading up into and through Spark of Rebellion, and it's got little artifacts inside it, but they're all actually attached to the book instead of being ones that are things that can be pulled out, like a lot of those deluxe editions from uh, uh, things like Imperial Handbook and whatnot. Uh, so that was pretty cool to see. 
There's going to be one for Sabine also we know that is coming out uh, in the new year. There's also, among all those Rebels books, it's easy to miss the fact that there's a book called Ezra's Gamble in there by Ryder Wyndham. It is an original story that is a prequel to Spark of Rebellion. It's basically an adventure that Ezra has dealing with Bosk that leads up into that little short called Property of Ezra Bridger, or Not What You Think, depending on where you're viewing it, so that the last chapter of Ezra's Gamble is that short, essentially here. So that was pretty cool to see something... Uh, that leads us into Rebels in that way. Uh, also among the kids' books, you also mentioned The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. That is a kids' book adaptation, essentially, of A New Hope with Luke's journey and all that, except it's got uh, Ralph McQuarrie concept art used in a lot of ways as uh, the artwork of the book, which was kind of an interesting way to approach it. Um, there's also the first of a new app slash book series out there for kids called Star Wars Journeys. So Star Wars Journeys, The Phantom Menace is the first one. Think an old-school read-along book, except mm. in this case, it's an app. So you open it up, the kids listen to it reading as you're turning the pages and whatnot, as it's telling the story. There are certain points within the pages you can click on that cause little animations to happen and add characters and ideas to basically a data bank that you have within it to learn more. And then it's also got a built-in game where you are pod racing, where you can choose different pod racing characters and zip around that feels, because you can control it with like the motion controls and everything, feels somewhat less like, say, Episode One Racer, where it had somewhat refined controls, and more like the kind of thing we got with the pod racing circuit that you can go on in Connect. Star Wars for the Xbox 360 a while back. It's the only one of that series that we've seen so far, but we're told that more of them are coming. So for kids' books this year, there were some unique items, but yeah, most of it was just, hey, we're going to adapt some Rebels episodes kind of fluff for adult readers at least. Well, that app sounds kind of cool. I know when I was looking at it, I was kind of confused as to what exactly it was. I'm like, is it a book or is it just an app? Like, what the heck? But for my kids, like, Jaina, that sounds like that would be a lot of fun for her age. Like, you know, get to do the little read-along, get to add stuff. I know Marvel's got an AR app that they do where, where you're reading the comic and you take a picture of wherever the AR is and it opens up this whole behind-the-scenes stuff. And, you know, that would just be brilliant if they were to do something along those lines with the moving forward of technology and stuff like, you know, I've, I've always been a, a, one of those that would love to have seen the hardback, the paperback and the audiobooks all released at the same day just to see which medium is the one that people are truly buying the most of. And I say that because I've always been a paperback fan. So I've been going out and buying the hardcover books because I don't want to wait a year for my paperback to come out. So I'm one of those that throw off the hardcover sales. I would not be buying this hardcover if the paperback came out first. So I've always been curious, you know, if they offered it in that regard, how that would work out. But on the same side, how cool would it be that the books, instead of being open where you could see them on the shelf and flip through them, they were closed and sealed. And when you opened them up, there was a little thing you read with an app. And there's the audiobook that you buy the audiobook and the book at the same time. I mean, I, I know. I'm having a hard time getting through a lot of these books, and I have been really, really, really leaning towards getting an audiobook uh, prob problem solved, you know, in that regard, getting Audacity and just going for it, you know. And there's that aspect of I want the unabridged stuff, you know, and I, I would love to see something where they had an app like that where you could get the read-along experience while you're reading the book. 
A lot of the other stuff that we got this year, a lot of cases it's stuff that's easy to let slip by because they're not major releases that were out there. Uh, the Lives and Adventures collection was released. Now, you may be like, Lives and Adventures? What is this? It is a slip-cased, basically uh, combined omnibus edition of Ryder Wyndham's The Life and Legend of Obi-Wan Kenobi, A New Hope, The Life of Luke Skywalker, The Wrath of Darth Maul, and The Rise and Fall of Darth Vader. So that's all stuff we've seen released in previous years. It did finally get a special collected edition and a series name instead of just Star Wars biographies this time around. Uh, we've mentioned the Rebels books, the kids' books mostly. We did get the Rebels visual guide that gave us some cool background uh, information on what we're seeing in the show and some chronological references that help make sense of things, ages of characters and things like that. Uh, the biggest one I would say that we haven't hit of the Rebels stuff is the new series Servants of the Empire, whose first book, Edge of the Galaxy, was released by Jason Fry. This is a series that follows, again, it's a prequel to what we see in Rebels, that follows his little buddy, Zara Leonis, and what goes on with him and his sister leading into the events of Breaking Ranks, of course, in which we find out that he's searching for his sister, doesn't know what happened to her, and that sort of sets up the background of that character. It's a series by Jason Fry uh, that I, so far, haven't had a chance to read the first book of yet. Uh, but if it's anything like Fry's other works, it should be a pretty good romp. And again, setting up background of characters we see in Rebels. Yeah, that's one I'm actually, I, it slid past me at first. I knew it existed, but then Breaking Ranks came out and there's there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I gotta go back and find out more. Because that was a character that I'm like, immediately I was thinking, what if his sister joined the Rebellion? I mean, what will that change his point of view? Right now, it looks like he's siding with the Re Rebellion, but... What if he later comes to see the Rebels as the reason why his sister's gone? Like, I am so interested as to what happens in that book that sets him into this path and where the series is going to go. And Jason Fry does have a history of providing some very entertaining stories. So in that regard, I'm very excited for that. And I, when it first came out, I didn't realize it was a series. I just thought it was one book. So finding out it was a series of books actually kind of made me more tickled. I was like, oh, sweet. Because there's this flood right now of all these kid books, and it's really hard as an adult Star Wars fan to to decide which ones are the ones I'm going to be picking up because they're part of the overall story. And granted, technically now all of them are, but at the same time, it's like, do I really need a, a five-page story about R2 doing, you know, something that has nothing to do with anything else, you know? So there's that side of things too. So seeing a, a series by Jason Fry that's continuing on, that gets me hopeful because I think of, of books like uh, The Jedi Apprentice, Last Jedi, things of those nature that, that were just fun little tiny kid book series, you know, that fit into the overall adult scheme that they weren't on the timeline and stuff, but they were great books. They're on my shelf. I count them just as much, you know, good stuff. An another one, though, that we haven't talked about what well, we did, but didn't. Uh, it came out in October was the Imperial Handbook. As far as I am aware, that is the last Legends book that we got and it was a quasi kind of fell in between because when that one came out dan wallace didn't even know if it was going to be set in legends or in canon it was in the middle of the production when all that went down it did end up becoming a legends book and it did fall into the legends universe 
Uh, but I guess they did reference some things from Rebels in it. So it's very interesting. I haven't got my copy of it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I do have the other ones. I've got Jedi Path, the Book of Sith, and the Bounty Hunter's Code. Uh, all are great in their vault editions. I love every single one of them. Uh, so I'm really hoping I'm able to finally save up and get this one as well. Really like the the, the outlook, the point of view of this. So, you know, as Nathan's, Nathan said with the... Uh, journal stuff you know if that's something that they're going to do similar in canon i'm excited for it because i really like the concept of these books from the legend standpoint the in-universe book that fell into our universe uh it was it was kind of a fun little ride yeah this is one that i own and haven't had a chance to actually read yet i've got a huge backlog to start doing once the christmas break starts and my teaching mostly from home thing finally gets going um another cool vault edition uh, somewhat expensive, but you get the cool sort of animated style or mechanical container for it to be in. You get the little artifacts that go in with it, so very much like what we saw with Jedi Path and Book of Sith and Bounty Hunter Code. Uh, yes, something that while it was being written, there was no uh, definitive answer on which canon it would fall into. Turns out it is Legends. For what it's worth, though, that also applies to A New Dawn uh, originally. There wasn't really a sense that this had to necessarily be part of the new canon when it was being written, and it turned out to be the first book from it. Uh, same goes for Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir. Jeremy Barlow wasn't told that this was going to be uh, the first comic being produced that actually goes into new story group canon. There was a lot of sort of nebulous things going on there. We'll find the same thing is the case with The Old Republic and with the Fantasy Flight Games material. There's basically a, well, some of it's getting approved now. It wasn't being approved later. Um... Which continuity is it in? Probably Legends, but throw up your hands and just kind of guess at this point whether they're ever going to actually definitively say one way or the other. It's some oddities going on with it. It seems like they're very much focused on making the new stuff fit, but if it's new stuff that continues from old stuff, it's kind of a, yeah, we'll see what happens type of approach being taken. Uh, one thing yeah. that is definitely not in continuity is the Lego Star Wars guide we got this year. We got another of these Lego Star Wars guides, in this case, Lego Star Wars The Dark Side. It's another of these that looks at the different individual characters and situations using Lego figures and such, and comes with a new exclusive little Lego minifigure. I don't tend to collect the Lego Star Wars stuff much. Uh, I pick up the home videos of the TV specials, because I'm a home video collector, and I eye the Legos, things like the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. I eye them in the stores, but I'm not going to spend over a hundred dollars for a freaking Lego item that's just going to sit on a shelf once it's been put together. But I do get a kick out of these little Lego guidebooks like the character encyclopedia and such. So I did pick this one up. Um, I would say it's on par with the Yoda Chronicles thing that they did. It's not exactly a guidebook. It's not a story either, but it's another of these cool little things. So if you're into Lego Star Wars, there's another one and another exclusive minifigure for you. Yeah, my son ends up getting these typically. Uh, he likes the little minifigures. He loves the details. He loves just seeing the different Lego characters that are out there. Uh, so, you know, for little kids and stuff, this is probably right up your alley. And some of you teens, I'm sure you may get a kick out of it as well. And a couple of you closet adults. We also then had a couple I personally didn't pick up because I'm not really into the kitty parody stuff. But we saw the continuation of stuff like Darth Vader and Son, Vader's Little Princess, with Good Night. Darth Vader, and we had a continuation of Jedi Academy with Jedi Academy Return of the Padawan. Again, these little parody stories, uh, not something I've ever really been all that interested in, but that's just because I'm a big continuity type of guy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, my son, he's got the Jedi Academy books. Uh, he was excited that the second one was coming out. So that that's right up his alley. It, it's weird because like I am a huge Star Wars fan and he comes to me with this stuff and I'm like, I don't care. But I put it on I put on the yeah, that's awesome, because I'm like, I want him to enjoy the other stuff, too. But yeah, there's definitely a, a disconnect for me and him in that regard. But I don't let him know. I'm just like, yeah, buddy, that's awesome. Yeah, OK. Woo. Yeah, go Legos. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's that aspect of it that, that they're really marketing things brilliantly for kids. And I, I do have a hard time realizing that, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm into is not what's being marketed at me anymore. And so, you know, there's that idea of do I want my son to, to fall into that same trap of everything Star Wars? Or do I be like, hey, bud, you just you only like the Lego stuff, right? That's all you're into, right? You don't want that other stuff. Like, do I curve him? I don't even know. I just keep putting out the good stuff, and I guess I'll see what kind of a fan he really is. That brings us to two sort of behind-the-scenes books this year. Somewhat more on the pricey side, but interesting in themselves nonetheless. We have Star Wars Storyboards, the original trilogy. Now, these are not storyboards for the entire original trilogy, but focusing in on specific storyboard segments and such for the films. Uh, it's a companion, of course, to the prequel trilogy one that is already out. And then we have Star Wars Costumes, the original trilogy, taking a look at, of course, at the costuming and such used throughout the films. I personally haven't picked up either of these yet. If I do pick up either, it'll probably be the storyboards one, because I'm interested in that much more than the costuming side of things. Um, but another cool pair of behind-the-scenes books focused on specific aspects of the films. We got those giant you know, making of Star Wars, making of The Empire Strikes Back, making of Return of the Jedi books with those really cool iBooks versions that added all that dynamic uh, media content and such into it. So it's interesting to see them shift back into behind-the-scenes type materials that aren't broadly covering entire film production processes like we got with those three, and we're now getting stuff that's a little bit more focused on one element of the filmmaking. See, in this regard, this is one of those things of fandom that just totally turned me off. Uh, you know, I I know there are fans out there, you know, beyond or Kenny Crowley Jr. I know this is right up your alley. You dig this kind of stuff. But for me, I'm, I, I'm not looking forward to an era of now the making of A New Hope and the making of this standalone and the making of that standalone. I, that to me is I would rather have stories. I could care less. Like, put that kind of stuff in a featurette on the DVD. That's where I'm at. Like, I don't... To me, that's just a waste of a published book. (laughs) Granted, mine is not the the opinion you should be following here. You should be checking it out. There is one aspect where I'm curious of, though, the costumes. Uh, I'm curious if it has any aspect of it that tells you, like, how the costumes were put together or if it's just a picture of the costumes. Because I'm more curious as to as to the, the real-world elements that they took apart and rebuilt to create the costumes than just seeing the costume on some prop dummy. I would assume it's a design standpoint. Uh, you know, this is what was used for this, this type of fabric, et cetera, et cetera. I would imagine the costumes book would be awesome for those who do cosplay. Mm-hmm. I just am not one of them. That leaves us with what is... Basically, not so much a book, but a series of short stories. Uh, And note, the Del Rey Star Wars sampler this year was digital and did not include any actual short stories being included in it. It was just excerpts from the different novels and such. For short stories, you needed to check out the pages of Star Wars Insider. And this year, saw the releases, 
if you start trying to take into account things like uh, the difference in time frames of newsstand editions versus subscriber editions, um, you take a look at the one that's still coming out supposedly this year that may wind up in people's hands before the end of the year, may not. Uh, so roughly speaking, we have issues 147 to 154 of Star Wars Insider that came out. And with that, we got a handful of short stories. We got Hammer and Silver and Scarlet, which is also, of course, in the hardback of Honor Among Thieves, uh, both of which are Legends continuity stories. And then we saw the very first story actually released as a prose story to take place within story group canon that didn't get a lot of fanfare in that regard, whereas A New Dawn did, uh, which is Blade Squadron Part 1. That was followed by Blade Squadron Part 2 and 1,000 Levels Down, all of which are new story group canon tales. Then we got two issues that actually didn't have any new short story content. We just got an excerpt of A New Dawn and then an excerpt of Tarkin. And we're told that in the last issue of this year that should be coming out very soon but isn't out yet, issue number 154, we're getting a short story called The End of History, which I at this point know next to nothing about, so we can't really comment on it. But an interesting eclectic mix here in that we've got two stories that are Legends canon, Two stories, if you count Blade Squadron as one, that are story group canon, one that's not released yet, and a couple of excerpts. An interesting mix for Insider this year. What's interesting, though, is is that Blade Squadron was not a legend story, and we thought it was. It was a canon story. It was actually the first canon story. Then we had Ezra's Gamble, and then A New Dawn. And all the pomp and circumstances was around A New Dawn. That to me was very odd it was like oh and by the way you've already got two canon stories out there like i think for me globally for 2014 that handoff right there was probably the biggest botch i mean you know yeah they, they did the stuff with legends and, and calling it legends but it was it was just kind of like they were throwing all these facts there was no clear cut like you know hey we're gonna celebrate legends and we're gonna you know have a kickoff of this new it was just like uh you know this is happening and let's all pretend it didn't happen and we're just gonna move on and when anyone asks about it the the pat answer everyone's gonna get is get over it you know i mean that was really weird and and it felt like a disservice not just to star wars fans not just to the product but to the ip itself star wars across the board got a hit for that like way to drop the ball yeah it was very weird weird handoff uh, even with dark horse i mean dark horse handing off to marvel that seems to be an obvious thing right oh one's legends one story group canon it makes perfect sense except we had Son of Dathomir that blurs that line because it winds up in both continuities because it's based on unproduced Clone Wars scripts for season six. With prose fiction, yeah, it was an insane setup for the handoff. They were focusing around the launch of new adult novels in the new canon, but didn't really give its due to the young reader book that beat it out there or the prose fiction found in Star Wars Insider. We had to be told after it was already out, oh, by the way, this is already story group canon. Um, it, it was weird as a handoff. Even stranger is the way they're handling, of course, the games, though, the video games and the stuff coming out from Fantasy Flight Games. There is little to no explanation as to where any of that's going to be fitting in uh, and when or if there's a handoff of one continuity to another. Um, that is still... A murky nightmare. But that's something, of course, we'll talk about two episodes from now when we look at games as part of part three of our year in review.
That's right. And to wrap this up, there are a couple things coming out in December. We're going to have uh, December 9th is the Inquisitor's Trap is going to be released. Then December 15th, Beware the Inquisitor. And December 22nd, we're going to have Star Wars Rebel, the Storybook Library, which is just a uh, upcoming box feature set, which eight previously published Star Wars uh, titles. It's going to have Chopper Saves the Day, Property of Ezra Bridger, uh, Ezra's Wookiee Rescue, Art Attack, The Inquisitor's Trap, TIE Fighter Trouble, and Zeb to the Rescue which was also listed as Entanglement, and uh, Who Are the Rebels. So that'll all be collected again at the end of the year. Actually, that might be the thing to hold out for when you think about it. But it's cool that they are still putting things out here in the last month. I know that December can sometimes be the month of death where there's nothing in it. This year, I found it was kind of odd that after April, from April through July, there was like nothing in the terms of novels. (laughs) Comics, they had stuff coming out, but novels, that was a dry era. Well, what's interesting is we felt like it was going to be a bigger dry era, right? Before they made the announcement in April about the end of Expanded Universe official continuity and how that was becoming Legends as a separate continuity, and then Story Group canon or New Canon, Disney Canon, whatever was going to become the new continuity, um, the belief was it was going to be basically from Honor Among Thieves all the way up till January of 2015 with the Luke Skywalker novel that we now know as Heir to the Jedi. But of course what happened was, after the announcement, they were able to talk about the two first novels of story group canon that were going to be released in the gap in between, of course, A New Dawn and Tarkin. So I gotta wonder if the the gaps that we're seeing were essentially a function of the fact that they were switching between the different continuities and getting their ducks in a row with that so there were some some severe gaps within the publishing process. But, of course, we had comics mm-hmm. to keep us going. We had games and such that were coming out there. And as we will find, there is another of those gaps that we're actually in the middle of right now as we record this taking place within comic publishing, which is where yeah. our next Year in Review episode goes, looking at uh, the Year in Review in Star Wars comics. Although I know a lot of that we've is ground we have covered to a degree when looking at Dark Horse recently. Yeah, it definitely seems like 2014 was a yin and a yang when it comes to Star Wars novels and Star Wars comics. I, I don't know. I mean, when I when I think about it like that, I wish it could have gone out with a big bang where we had, you know, grand series endings and stuff all planned and plotted out. And it wasn't just like one or two here and then it dried out and the other one was going and then it dried out. Uh, you know, as a Legends fan, it's very difficult to walk away. And, you know, in 2014, it looks like this will be the last of our legends books and legends comics. So, you know what the future has in store for us for star Wars and for legends is anybody's guess. Yeah. I would argue that for books this year was a decent year. It wasn't the strongest we've seen certainly, but none of the books and this is a good credit to have for the year. None of the books were bad. We had books that were not as good as others, we had uh, generally some decently sort of, uh, I would say, B's and A's when it came to the books that we got this year. Uh, yes, we had a bunch of little odds and ends filler things, and wow, they're already ramping up the kids' books like crazy for what we've got coming for Rebels. I mean, Property of Ezra Bridger was a teeny tiny short that was less than five minutes or something, right? And it gets its own kids' book. Um, that is overdone. But we also got things like Ezra's Gamble. 
the visual guide, another LEGO Star Wars guidebook, a couple of new behind-the-scenes books. Uh, it was a decently varied year with very little, if anything, within books. And I'm talking not just novels now, but books in general um, that were particularly poor. Everything seemed like it was decent up through rather good, which is a nice way to round things out for the books for the year. We will find that comic-wise, yeah, not nearly that good of a year for Dark Horse. See, for me with the novels, I found it was kind of a, a meh year. Like, Bs are good. I, I wouldn't say there was anything with an A. I would say the most stuff was C-plus range for me. Like, it was decent. But at the same time, it was kind of like, you know, even with canon stuff, this year was like Legends material at its norm. I mean, it wasn't bad. It wasn't excellent. And I think that's what I was really hoping for. I really wanted one book that was like really shining example of of awesomeness as it went out. And by that, I mean Legends or as canon coming forward. I mean, A New Dawn's a good book. Tarkin's a good book. But they're not, to me, A New Jedi Order Star by Star or an I Jedi. Those books are books that just reach out and slap me. They were, they were some of my favorite books out there, some really fun reads. And while these were good reads, they weren't fun reads. And I, I really I, – I hope we get back to that where, where some of the reads are really fun. Granted, I didn't read Honor Among Thieves, and I blame Razor's Edge for that. Last year's book left such a foul taste in my mouth thinking that Honor Among Thieves had anything to do with it, it. It really made me reluctant to even crack that book open. So when the next book along the line, the Darth Maul one came out, I jumped right onto that one. Uh, so you know, I do have that to go back to, and I know a lot of people like Nathan – they loved the banter going on in that book that it was really dialed in on Han and Chewie especially. So there's a lot of that that I, I haven't got. But I really was hoping for something that stood out more, you know. And so for me, it was just – it was an average year. It wasn't a bad year. It wasn't, a, you know, a terrible year. Uh, it was it was a solid year. That is true. There wasn't a Darth Plagueis, for instance, of this year. But I mm -hmm. think part of that has to do with the fact that as things were rounding out for the Legends continuity, they didn't do anything big and bombastic to wrap it up, as you were saying. And also the fact that there, the, a lot of the things that we tend to like in terms of big, bombastic, crazy stories tends to be big game changers. And the problem right now, of course, is that with story group canon, there is little to the game to change. Uh, yeah. You know, game changers are going to take something that we know that has existed as a status quo and really change things up. Right now, they're still establishing what the status quo is. I figure it's going to take a few years before we get something big as a game changer, unless it's something like, say, a lead-in uh, sometime soon to Episode 7, or something that winds up showing us that, yeah, the reason why that X-Wing pilot in the Force Awakens trailer has a rebel symbol on his helmet, and the reason why there's all those stormtroopers is that the Empire didn't die after Palpatine died. That even more so than in the stuff from Bantam and onward... Um, the Empire was still around and still a threat, et cetera, et cetera, or however it winds up working out. To have something that basically says, I mean, there's two ways to change the status quo. You can change the status quo in the, this continuity, and we don't have enough continuity yet for this continuity to say what the status quo is to say that something's going to change. Or you could do something that changes the status quo in that it changes things and throws it on its head compared to what we thought we knew because it takes something we we took for granted within the Legends continuity, and figured would probably carry over, and then it does something completely different. We got a little bit of that within Tarkin, but not a whole lot. So far, 
it's very much sort of a playing it safe here. And I blame the fact that when it came to uh, A New Dawn and when it came to the Imperial Handbook and so forth, there was a lot of confusion, it seems like, or lack of clarity to the writers as to which canon these stories would wind up falling into. As we move along, I would think that next year, the year after, that's when we'll start to see the big game-changing type stuff because we'll have Episode 7, but also they'll have laid some of this foundation and gotten out of that nebulous, well, which canon will it fall into mindset from mm -hmm. Del Rey, and we'll get things that are just straight up, this is new canon, go wild, guys, type of mindset books. Yeah, You know, and again, I'm reaching for straws, I know it, but I really think that we have a game-changing thing already seated there with the lightsabers. You know, now if the force happened to be something that was sentient or something along those lines had, you know, we talk about a will of the force and that kind of stuff. What does that mean? But if the force itself is the reason that the lightsabers are doing the flickering and stuff like that, that is an aspect that Legends has never even played with at all. Aside from, you know, the lightsaber is, is my attachment to the force and that kind of stuff. But to see that that there's an actual physical reaction from the lightsaber to the force or whatever's going on with the force is reacting and you're seeing it through the lightsaber. Like that's a, that's an angle that has never been messed with before. And there are seeds to that right now that at least I'm seeing, which again, I'm reaching for straws here, but I've seen enough of it there that I can make up a, an argument for it that the force might be alive or there's a, some kind of force connection with the lightsabers. And that that's what's at play here. Uh, I mean, to me, that's that's a game changer. That's something that we never saw even messed with much in Legends. You know, a lightsaber was just a tool. They talked about it occasionally, like, you know, is it an extension of the Jedi or is it just a tool? Those kind of things. But beyond that, they've never really messed with it on a, on a, a philosophical level like this. And uh, there's something going on, man. I really, truly think it. <laughs> It'll turn out like in episode seven that Yoda shows up or something as a force ghost and talks to Luke and is like, so I learned all this stuff, of course, in horrible syntax. I learned all this stuff back from these priestesses, right? I didn't tell any of the other Jedi during the Clone Wars, which is why you don't see a bunch more force ghosts around here. I didn't bother to tell them. So now they're all like dead, dead. Their spirit isn't there. But oh, by the way, I also learned all this stuff about, you know, the birth of life in the universe and the nature of the force. and. It just took me decades as a Force ghost to actually bother to tell you, because that's what the story dictated. Sorry, it'll turn out that Yoda is basically at fault for much of everything within the Star Wars galaxy because of things he learned, perhaps, back during the Clone Wars during his final adventures there in the Lost Missions that he didn't bother to tell the Jedi Order then, didn't bother to tell Luke later, and if he does show up as a Force ghost, didn't bother to tell Luke in all the decades that followed. Uh, including, <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, the Force is alive, really, or something. The Force is sedient or whatever it would be. Uh, that'd be an interesting twist, but uh, I would say if there's, I mean, if Force Awakens is going to be the game changer, and I believe it will be, that's a 2015 thing. I, I don't think seeing just the teaser at this point is something we can think of as a game-changing moment yet. I mean, we don't even know the names of these characters yet, the names of the planets, why it is that you know, Daisy Ridley's character is basically flying something shaped like a fudge sickle. We have no idea yet. So, game changer, sure. Absolutely. But not 2014 to me.
Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review of our show while you're at it. You can help us grow by doing such a thing, and you can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any other Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. And lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you are Audible Trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't miss the odds that next time when we look at Star Wars comics, we'll have anything new to say. Or that the odds that they're going to hashtag continue legends. Or that when the Force awakens, the first thing it does is pass a lot of gas. I know that happens to me a lot. Maybe it just hits the snooze button and goes back to bed for another five years. Episode 8, The Force Reawakens. <laughs> the Force slump in. <laughs> Episode 9, The Force Finally Goes to Work. I can just see it now. Star Wars, episode 548. The Force finally dies. The spin-offs. The Force is kinda groggy. <laughs> Where's my coffee? small amount of and the cat's already meowing again shut the fuck up give me a starfighter game that memo that it doesn't make sense stop it cat damn make sure i'm doing this right so that's 14 so yeah rebel journal by edger you also adventure that and instead, what happened was, after that announcement, it turns out that we got two novels in between that we didn't even... Blah. With no questions asked. So, in... Really, dude? With Did no questions... Did just fart? Pretty much. 